So just so we're perfectly clear after that reading, I think that's my favorite part at the end there. Um, just making sure we're all on the same page with this reading, okay? So the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that grows into a big shrub, but it's also like leaven that we mix with flour. It's also a hidden, hidden treasure in a field, but it's also like a great pearl, very expensive pearl, and, um, oh yeah, it's also like a fishnet. Okay, so everybody got that? We're all clear, crystal clear on what the kingdom of heaven is? I hope so, because the disciples were, right? I mean, Jesus said, after telling them all these things, do you understand this all? And they said, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. We're good, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I think they were faking it. Kind of like when you're in beginning algebra and your teacher starts telling you, explaining the, that, that X is unknown, but that you can find its value by adding the inverse. And then she starts writing a formula on the board. And then she turns to the class and she says, any questions? And you are dying inside because you have no idea what she's talking about. But everybody else is silent, so you assume that they must. And so you just look at the teacher and say, yep. We're good. I got it, Rabbi. This is the way I think it was. Now, maybe we are intended to take the disciples' response at face value. But if there's one thing I've learned about parables, is that there is always more to the story. Parables are like the gift that keeps on giving. Parables are these little stories, just interesting, meeting, meaty stories that are meant to illustrate some spiritual lesson for us. But what's fascinating is that even though they're meant to illustrate a spiritual lesson, we don't always understand what that spiritual lesson is sometimes. There are just layers and layers of possibilities and meaning. So you do have to kind of look at parables like a gift from all sides. Something that you sort of pick up and shake a little bit, see what's inside. And then you, you examine the box and then you open it up and maybe you peel back that tissue paper. And then you might have to come back to it again and again to really figure out what is the gift of this particular story. In fact, Jewish scholars have had a long process of discernment of these kinds of, of scripture. They're, they have a tradition of debating and discussing and even arguing about the meaning of scripture, particularly the passages in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They describe this process of interpretation as like a gem, with many facets to it. And you keep turning that gem over and over again for different perspectives and different insights. Maybe you hold it up to the light a little bit and see what's refracted, or you get a, a spectacle or a magnifying glass and you look at the different pieces of that gem, looking for something that maybe has gone undetected the first time around or the 10th time around. In fact, if we were doing this in Jesus' day, we'd be standing around the temple. And I might say, let me tell you what I think about the seed that turns into the greatest of all shrubs. 
by the way, I did not see that one coming. I mean, really, Jesus, of all the comparisons that we could have had? I mean, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to say that the kingdom of heaven would be lined with gold. The streets would be lined with gold. And, you know, we get that imagery from the book of Revelation, of course, but I believed everything my grandmother said, literally. And so I could imagine the streets of, of gold ascending into heaven like the, the bullion bricks of gold, you know. And so Jesus' description of this magnificent shrub is kind of a letdown, <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> but... Nonetheless, we would be debating these things in the temple square, and someone else would come forward and say, well, the yeast is, is, is like the gospel that works like leaven in the hearts of those who receive it. And then I might say something like, well, yes, but the shrub is also a safe haven. The shrub is, is a shelter like the kingdom of God. In true Jewish scholarly fashion, that's how the discourse would go. And people would sit around and sort of glean all they could from the rabbis who were speaking and teaching. And I kind of imagined that it was lively and spirited. And by the way, I hope that's what the kingdom of heaven is like too. Lively and spirited. Exciting to be around. So I think that... Speaking in the language of parables came really naturally to Jesus, who lived in this world of kind of thoughtfully and carefully unpacking ideas. And so he didn't shy away from sharing these little gems with us. Now, we are living in radically changing times, as we all know, like nothing any of us has ever seen before. Everything is needing to be done differently. Schools, businesses, the government, healthcare, social systems, neighborhood gatherings, how we communicate with each other, how we care for people. And all of these things that I've just mentioned have to do also with how we do church. As Christians, these are all our concern. And it's important that we put some effort into helping to shape and change the way that the church will intersect with these things going forward. Next week, we're actually gonna spend some time talking about what that might look like for our church. I certainly don't have all the answers. Robert doesn't have all the answers. You all don't have all the answers, but we do follow the one who does. And so like a gem, we're gonna spend some time. We're gonna have to to turn this thing over and over again and see what does it look like for us? How can we begin to interpret all the meanings for the future of the church and what it looks like in light of a pandemic? So this week we're talking about the real kingdom. What does it look like, feel like, talk like, and act like? And next week we're going to talk about real church what are its characteristics? And, and what does Jesus say to us about that? How do we steward our beloved church in times of massive uncertainty? One of the things represents our view of God's perfect world. The other is our view of discipleship. And they're so intertwined. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, 
the two phrases are pretty interchangeable, although in the Gospel of Matthew, he does have a tendency to refer more to it as the, the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom was a big deal in Jesus' day. He talked about it quite a lot, and for good reason. God's people believed that the long-awaited Messiah would usher in a new kingdom in the royal sense of the word. They believed that this would be a new and actual ruler who would come to destroy the oppressive regime of the Roman Empire in the first century. The Messiah would once again liberate Israel from oppression and at the same time would reveal that the powers that be were greedy, oppressive, unjust, power-hungry, heartless tyrants. This is what they thought a king would look like. This is what a king would do. But Jesus spent his life, his ministry on earth, demonstrating how vastly different earthly kingdoms are from heavenly ones. Jesus was here to rule over one thing only, and that was hearts. While earthly kingdoms concerned themselves with hierarchy and status, Jesus concerned himself with the lowly and the marginalized. Roman leaders were about law and order. Jesus was about hearts and souls. Jesus called out the injustice of the day by calling out to those who suffered at the hands of it. The leaders of the Roman Empire, as well as the religious leaders of the day, were about sticking to the rules. Jesus was about sticking close to people. Every single thing that Jesus taught was based on the foundation that people are more important than rules. When confronted with a scene, for example, where the religious leaders and the townspeople were about to stone a woman who was caught in an adulterous affair, Jesus refused to harm her and instead called on the crowd to examine their own conscience when he said, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. In his day, no one would have wanted to have as their associate a tax collector like Matthew, which today might be a little like appointing someone who practices illegal insider trading or is a known scam artist. Yet Jesus said, come, follow me. Later that, that night, after he had invited Matthew to be his disciple, he was sitting at supper when someone said to Matthew, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, overhearing, responded, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, which was his way of saying, I have come to invite outsiders in. Jesus also had women in his inner circle, and not just the most presentable women, according to social standards, but those whose reputations were sullied, those who were from the wrong side of the tracks, those who had the occasional bad attitude, and those who didn't know how to sit still and be quiet. All those people you don't like, Jesus seemed to say, we're going to round them up and make them disciples in my kingdom. Jesus was constantly doing the unexpected. 
He reveled in being with people, which is not exactly what people were used to seeing in their kings. But he wasn't like any other ruler. 2,000 years later, we're still examining his kingdom, turning it over and over again, looking for specks in the glass that we might have missed or something that we may be just now wise enough to begin to understand in a new way. We ask, how do we not only follow Jesus, but how do we mimic his actions in the world in order to make that kingdom real for us today? I know most of us grew up with at least some semblance of the idea that the kingdom of heaven was somewhere out there in the afterlife, something that we would orient our lives toward on this earth so that we might be worthy enough to look forward to it with joyful anticipation, or in some cases, something that we would view with a little bit more anxiety about whether or not we would get in. If the kingdom of heaven is acquired through merely adhering to a set of rules, telling us what not to do, we're all in trouble. But if, however, the kingdom is ours, when we imitate the life of Christ and adhere to his teachings on what we should do, which is love, well, that may indeed be the harder path, but it will for sure be the better one. The easy path is to make rules and then call someone out for breaking them. The harder one is to love as Jesus loved. Rules matter, of course they do. People matter more. Jesus never ever chose rules over people. We are creatures who love rules and order and, and airtight proof. And it's the darndest thing that we follow a God who shows up in nuance and subtlety and beauty. Faith itself is mysterious and unknown, but it's not one-dimensional. To focus, as some people do, on getting into heaven is to miss an opportunity to study the very mystery of our faith. God doesn't think in terms of either or, tit for tat. We do. We do that. We read in the book of Revelation that God promises there will be a perfect kingdom with no more tears, no more sorrow. And I got to tell you that the thought of heaven being filled with the most beautiful and joy-filled things and filled with people that I love and miss and filled with perfect health and perfect love where justice prevails and where we are in the very presence of God well, that does sound like paradise to me. And Jesus described it as such when he said to the criminal who hung on the cross next to him, today I tell you, you will be in paradise with me. In other places in the Bible, we hear Jesus referring to heaven as my father's house. And both of these images are nurturing and compelling pictures of what awaits us after death. Of course, we don't know exactly what it will be like, and the Bible is largely silent on that topic, except for a few 
images in the book of Revelation, like I mentioned before, the streets paved with gold. Still, as Christians, we hold on to the hope that someday we will be in that heavenly kingdom in the very presence of the divine. But perhaps more importantly, we are meant to be part of restoring heaven on earth right now to live and act in ways that invite God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And this occurs every day of our earthly lives as we practice love, as we practice forgiveness, kindness, mercy, generosity, justice. Not when we practice exclusion, intolerance, and hate, when we actually ban people from participating in God's kingdom because of a set of rules that we believe is their plan for their lives in order to be saved and to get into heaven, we miss this beautiful opportunity of showing them God's grace-filled, love-filled plan for our lives right now. Right now. The kingdom of heaven is here. God's kingdom is all around us. There is nowhere we can go where God doesn't reign. That person I judge, he's in God's kingdom right now with me. It's not my job to throw him out of the kingdom, even though sometimes that might sound great. It's my job to love and care for him in a way that is worthy of kingdom living. It's also my job to recognize the kingdom in someone else, to see where God's love and mercy and forgiveness and gentleness and acceptance are working in their life. There is an incredible amount of encouragement in that to me, of just recognizing the blessing of God at work in myself, in others, in the world, in the global pandemic, in unexpected places. And at the heart of both kingdom living and church living is an understanding that we are not just biding our time until the day we will live with Christ in eternity, but that we are living as Christ today. That's where our work lies in understanding and acting upon the truth of the kingdom as it exists in each of our lives right now, in every moment. And Jesus promises us that when we do that, there will be so much peace and so much joy, more than we can ever imagine. We would do well to learn from those in the first century who didn't recognize God's kingdom in their midst. Because the presence of God's kingdom in the year 2020 might look a little different than we expect to. Here's what I see. The kingdom of heaven is like a family who sets up camp chairs outside the window of the nursing home where their father lives so that he won't have to be alone during COVID. The kingdom of heaven is like a weary teacher who, instead of taking time off during the summer, sets up an elaborate food distribution program for her students, and when working parents can't get there to pick the food up, she hand delivers it to their front door. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a group of teens from Aspen who commit their free time to raising money to purchase wells for teens in Africa so that they won't have to travel six miles every day on foot to gather dirty water for their homes. The kingdom of heaven is like a young attorney who dedicates her life to fighting for people who are sentenced to life in prison for a crime they didn't commit. The kingdom of heaven is like a priest who goes to five AA meetings a week with a man he barely knows so that the man has a chance at sobriety. The kingdom of heaven is like a father who drops his briefcase at the door and scoops his son into his arms after a long day at work. The kingdom of heaven is like a friend who forgives you even when you're a jerk, or a spouse who accepts you flaws and all, or a child who only wants your lap to crawl up in when she's feeling cranky. The kingdom of heaven is not so much glory hallelujah moments as it is sighs too deep for words. In short, the kingdom of heaven is like a parable about a mustard seed and a treasure and a pearl and yeast and fishnets, which are actually a gift that we unwrap a little bit at a time, one story at a time, one act of kindness at a time, one act of generosity or mercy or love at a time until we finally get to the essence of the gift, which is the precious present. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you work in our hearts in this moment, in the moments of the days ahead, in the weeks and months and years ahead, and help us to just unwrap and unwrap and unwrap the gift of your words to us about what it means to live in your kingdom, what it means to let you rule over our lives, and God, what it means to show your kingdom to other people. Not with might and strength and words that hurt, but with love and gentle guidance and examples, just as Christ imitated, showed us how to imitate. So help us to show others. And God, as you work in our lives every moment of the day, help us always to be mindful for those blessing moments, those unexpected times where we see your hands at work, where we see your love in the world, where we see your people doing your work. Help us to be more and more mindful of that, more and more focused on that. Help us to not be as focused on the pain and the suffering and the sorrow, except for where we can do your work, God. Help us to not judge, but to serve. And God, in this moment where we wrap our brains around the future and all that it entails, we ask that you help us to know where to do your work. Help us to know how to alleviate some of the suffering. 
We ask all of this in Christ's name as we turn now to Matt Dubay as he reads the prayers of the people for us. Amen. That was obviously Ellen, not Matt, but thank you to both of the debates for being our readers this morning.
And as our service continues, I invite you all to reflect on your service and your active giving to the chapel. We're so grateful for everything from your time, your volunteering, your service, your prayers especially. And there's information on your screen now about how to donate to the chapel uh, if you're able to do so. Thank you so much. standing as you're able. Those of you watching online, please join us as our service continues. And if you received a piece of communion bread as you walked in this morning, I invite you to take that out now. Hold that in the palm of your hands as together we bless the bread and the wine. God, you made us and the world and everything in it. All the good we see comes from you. You have always loved us, but people have not always loved you. You sent Jesus to show us how to live and to bring us back to you again. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for us on the cross so that through your spirit we can all be your people. And so with thanks, we praise you. We're here because on the night before he died for us, our Lord shared a meal with some friends. There, he took some bread and gave thanks to you, God. He broke it into pieces and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which brings new life. Do this and know that I am with you. Later, he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to you, Lord, and said, this is my blood, which brings new life. Do this and know that I am with you. And so remembering Jesus Christ, who died, was raised to new life by you. Now send your spirit so that this bread and this wine can be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through this food, give us strength to live as your people. Help us to care for your world and for each other in the way that Jesus showed us. We praise you, we thank you, and we bless you. As together we pray the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And please know that whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whatever it is you might have done in life, all people are walking with this. Our Lord said that. And I invite you to take your communion now together. And you may share with those in your own household.
You may be seated. All right, so uh, those of you who are watching online and shared some of your comments, I want to just acknowledge a couple of awesome things because Paul got a shout out for the prelude songs at the beginning, and I was thinking the exact same thing. Did it remind you of if you were a little younger, maybe a little while ago, of like hanging out with your grandma? We loved it. That is, that is a high compliment. A high compliment. Loved every every bit of it. Susan and Mark McKellar pointed that out too. Tammy Barr also said you look good in red, by the way. <laughs> love the red mask. I also loved what Ona Marshall said, who's watching from Louisville, Kentucky, and there was some back and forth conversation about um, the message that she got from the sermon was that it reminded her of her goal to connect, not correct. I thought, that'll preach, sister. That's good. Well done, Ona. And to uh, Kathy and Dan, who are watching in Boston, Mwah! hello to you. To Bob and Celia in San Antonio, Bob Wolf in Apex, North Carolina, Bonnie and Mike, Debbie Shore in Snowmass, Robin Scott down in Basalt. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lovely to see you all, and thank you for the shout-outs um, this morning. So great to be with you all. With that, will you please join in our closing prayer? God, you call us to find your kingdom already hidden in our world in tiny, transforming possibilities, in beauty that calls us to surrender all, in complicated choices that call for wisdom, heighten our senses that we may find you and join you in building this kingdom of love and hope and peace. Amen. And now as we leave this place this morning and we cross over that bridge or whatever bridge it is that might be near you and go back out into the world. Know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of you. Let him lead you to those quiet places of your heart where he will meet with you. Know that he loves you and he listens to you with gentle understanding. Whatever it is you might be experiencing, whatever it is you might be enduring. And may the peace and joy and strength of God's kingdom be with you today and always.
How are you, Mark? And do it quickly. <laughs> Doesn't transmit as many germs, apparently. So, yeah. People need hugs. We have to hug. Yeah. Glad you were here. Yeah. Where are you doing them? Down at True Nature? Oh, it's your house. In Brighton Basal? Oh, let's do it. That'd be fun. I'd love to do that and just catch up, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That would be fun. I love it. Okay, good. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you, dear. Thank you, you too. Bye. Oh. <laughs> You're trying to figure it out. 